Okay, I have to be doing something wrong. I mean completely wrong. And it's something I thought I was doing right. And it's it's pretty simple, I think. Here's the situation. This morning, I'm driving into work. It's a beautiful, sunny day. It's about to be the first day of summer. By the way, happy summer. It's here. Arrived at, what, 1254? Did you feel the difference? Do you feel it? It helps that summer arrives on a Friday. Could we do this all the time? Could we have summer arrive on a Friday? Because it just it just feels good, especially a sunny Friday. If it's going to be cloudy on a Friday or rainy, eh, put that off. I, I think the arrival of summer should be dependent on the weather and the weekend because this is a great way to go into a weekend. But I'm getting away from my point. I'm driving this morning. I am coming west on Hamilton Road. It is a beautiful sunny day, and I am approaching Egerton. You know what's going on just west of Egerton right now on Hamilton Road? Bad things. Lots and lots of bad things. Construction. Now, ultimately, they will be good things, but at the moment, if you are a commuter, bad things. Cones everywhere. People trying to fit from two lanes into one, and this is my issue. When you're approaching... Two lanes going into one. And this happens in a number of different spots in the city right now because of construction. If you're going north on Warncliffe, I think this is happening just before Horton, is it not? Two lanes into one. It kind of happens anyway because anybody who doesn't want to wheel out to downtown has to get over into the left lane on Warncliffe. But you have the lane on the left that starts to pile up. All of these people have arrived at their specific time, right? They've been there first, and they have already merged into the left lane. So they are there, and they are waiting for usually a light to turn green so that you can move through. And then you've got the people who are late to the lineup but choose to stay in the right lane and blow right on by to the front, and then they zipper merge at the front. Remember when we got that term a little while ago? Somebody created zipper merge. Congratulations to you. Thank you for the word. Can we figure this out once and for all? Because I'm thinking I'm doing it wrong. Because I'm the dummy who is already in the left lane, knowing that's where I'm ultimately going to have to go. And I am sitting 10 cars deep, and I'm watching all of these other people go vroom, 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 right on by and zoom right to the front of the line. And then they zipper merge. And they all get through during the green light, and all I do is get closer to the intersection, and the light turns red, and I'm stuck there again. I don't want to be that guy who pulls out into the right lane and flies to the front. But am I doing it wrong? Should I be that guy if I get there? Is it the people who start lining up who are doing it wrong? Should the zipper merge be merging itself into place? As people arrive at that particular junction, I'm thinking, yeah, I'm thinking I'm doing it wrong. Can you help me? 519-643-2222. It's the first of many transportation-type topics that we're going to have on London Live today. But I'm thinking I'm doing this wrong. I don't want to be that guy, but I sure don't like that guy who flies to the front and makes it in. But am I the dummy for just sitting there and waiting? Should I be pulling out to create the nice little zipper merge at the front of the line? I'm thinking I should be. But then I'm blowing by everybody else. I think we have to learn to do this right. It's like roundabouts. 
We have no idea how to use roundabouts. They have rules, they're written on a sign you're supposed to go by and read the roundabout rules and know exactly who goes when. We have no idea, we're making it up. When you get to a roundabout, you're supposed to yield. If there's somebody in the roundabout, you're supposed to stop. And then you let them go by. But you get these strings of traffic. If you're ever on the Trafalgar roundabout, this is a perfect example. You look at the people who are going in. If you have a line of traffic, they will just continue to go. They just follow each other through. I don't think that's how to use it. But again, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I'm using it right. 519-643-2222. Email mike at 980cfpl.ca or you can tweet me at stubs980. The zipper merge. How exactly should we be going through this in order to use it correctly? Is it okay to be that guy or that person who flies by everybody on the right-hand side? Because the more I watch it, and I've done this all week, the more I watch it, the more I think those are the people who actually know what they're doing. Norm, who's in the right here? Oh, well, Norm, can I you think, turn? I think, I think what you need to do is you need to be half in your lane, half in the other lane, so they can't zip by you. I've been that guy. Well, it works. <laughs> is that what you do? Absolutely. Okay, I don't mind this. I don't, it creates a little extra road rage. Norm, can I get you to turn down your radio just a bit, please? <laughs> It's down. Okay, perfect. Um, I've been that guy before. I'm, I'm thinking people get a little miffed and ticked off about it. What do you find happens when you do the half in, half out? Well, they don't have a choice. They have to go behind. They have to merge in behind instead of zipping by. And you're right. If they zip by 10 or 15 cars, they get ahead of you, and you're the one stopping at the next light or the next two lights. So you got to block them. Gotta, Norm says, gotta block him. Norm, I've done it before, and maybe I'll do it again. Thanks for the call today. Hey, have a good one. <laughs> Bye-bye. 519-643-2222. I wonder what police would rule on that, if you're the half in, half out. Because, yeah, I've done that, and you feel a bit like a jerk doing it, but it, it keeps the people behind. I've had people honk at me, and I've done it at a point where you've got a shoulder, so... On Hamilton Road, the example we were using, there's no shoulder. It's the sidewalk. But I've done it on a shoulder, and I've had people actually blow over to the soldier, the shoulder and pass by and then dart back in. I'm not parking my car sideways to keep you back. But I'm thinking that we're not zipper merging correctly. Okay, some emails have started to come in on this. Uh, Mike at 980cfpl.ca. And here they go. Mike says, the problem with the zipper merge is that it assumes that everyone will drive with respect and consideration for others on the road, and there are far too many who do not. Mike, you're exactly right. It's like any rule. This is going to work out really well, unless people get involved, and then it gets really bad really fast. Uh, Eugene says, check the London website. The way to make traffic move the smoothest is for double traffic to go right to the lane change sign. Half in is exactly the incorrect way. I think Norm and I know that, yeah, that's that's not the right way, but it prevents people from blowing by. But I'm thinking, yeah, as, as you get there, if you know that it's two lanes into one, 
then you dart out and you change lanes into the right-hand lane immediately, and then you kind of you zipper merge yourself a whole lot earlier than what we're doing. John, how do you feel about this? Well, I'll tell you, Mike, I think they're the stupidest thing out there. I got charged because I got hit in a roundabout, and what they told me is that anything approaching from the left, and it doesn't matter what lane they're in, if they hit you, you're at fault. Come on. I was at, no, I'm serious. I got charged in Kitchener. I was at uh, Homer Watson and I think it's Ottawa. So there was a car approaching. They're on the inside lane. I'm approaching from the outside lane. I entered the roundabout. This guy turned in front of me, hit my wife's uh, front fender, and I got charged for not yielding. I, and I said to the cop, I said, He's in a designated lane. I'm in a designated lane. He crossed out of his lane, crossed into mine, hit mine. Doesn't matter. I, I, in fact, I took it to court, and the prosecutor, the same thing. Doesn't matter. Anything from the left, doesn't matter what lane they're in, what lane you're in. If you get hit, you're at fault. So the charge stood for you? Yep, it stood. And I'll tell you, I tried to explain to him, in England, if you're in a roundabout that has more than one lane, you keep going around the roundabout until you get to the lane on the outside where you exit off. Ontario, they want to do things half-assed, and, you know, they put these things in, and if they designed them properly, you would have to go around until you exited on the outside lane, and then you would emerge off, but not here. You, you know, it doesn't matter that he crossed the designated lane. Any other traffic act, if somebody leaves a designated lane and hits you in your lane, they're at fault, not in a roundabout, not in Ontario. John, thanks for the warning because, yeah, just added a whole other wrinkle to roundabouts. Appreciate that. Yep. You know the other wrinkle to roundabouts that we need to watch out for? And a lot of times this will happen in subdivisions. So if you have a subdivision where a roundabout is being put in, you know what you need to ask for? Don't put any trees or bushes or other crap in the way. Don't do that. Because now we get roundabouts, especially in residential areas, and somebody who said, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make this beautiful. We're going to have a beautiful roundabout. Okay, how are you going to do that? We'll put all kinds of trees and bushes and crap in the way. And that's what they do. And then you can't see what's coming. So you have no idea. There are roundabouts that wind up being completely blind. And I have no idea why that's even a thing. You know what you do? Plant some grass. Put in some decorative rocks. Don't plant grass, actually. Then somebody has to cut it, and it'll always grow. Put in some rocks. That's it. Done. A rock roundabout. I don't need beautiful things. I just need functional things. And you know what? If you want to have both, and if you can do it, that's fine. You can have a beautiful lawn that's also functional. You can have family parties on it. But... If it's one or the other, I'll take functional over beautiful every single time. Mike, welcome to London Live. Hey, Stubbs. Hey. Uh, just when you mentioned uh, not to put things in the middle of the roundabout, I drive trucks, and uh, so I don't always follow the rules perfectly because when you get to go, you, you go in a truck. But uh, three years ago, they put in a new roundabout just by Stratford on number seven. So there's three in a row. Okay. And there was a foggy day, and somebody with a truck and a van trailer drove straight through the middle of the first one, straight through the middle of the second one, and then straight through the middle of the third one. And they have a pretty good 
like that last one's a foot and a half jump that you got to get to. And they had just finished doing gardens uh, on the inside. Like, I don't know whether the guy was drunk, but he uh, he bounced pretty good. Unbelievable! But but made it through all three. I don't know what that says. That says uh, is he a heck of a driver for that? I I don't know. I think, I I'm guessing his uh, truck and trailer did not fare too well out of it. <laughs> but uh, I guess if if you're drunk, if you can keep on going, you just keep on going. <laughs> Mike, thanks for the call. Thank you. If you are drunk, get off the road. First off, uh, roundabouts. I'm telling you, we've we've got we've got issues in the making. Especially after Mike called up and said anything coming from the left that hits you makes you at fault. Especially when you get into the two lane ones. You wait. We'll get three lane ones too. If you've ever been to England and you've tried to drive down there or even been in a car, they have roundabouts that go one way and then they have roundabouts that spring off it going the other way. What? How do you? Can I just? You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to walk. You know what else I'm going to do? I'm going to cycle. In a little while, in less than an hour, we're going to be talking about a cycling survey. The City of London wants our input. And not just if you cycle. This is not just for people who have bikes and make their way around. This is also for people who don't cycle and aren't happy with cyclists. So get ready to fill out a very quick survey, a little homework for all of us over the weekend. And we'll have that in less than an hour from now. We are also going to be talking about trains and something that is kind of, well, it, we're going to talk to somebody who has been trying to get this to become a bigger issue for years now, but has some help from St. Mary's Mayor Al Strathy. And we'll talk with Mayor Strathy. We'll also talk with Chris West from All Aboard St. Mary's. Because if we do want to get around and you don't want to worry about roundabouts and you don't want to worry about all of the other challenges that you have, zipper merging and getting around construction, if you were going from city to city, wouldn't it be nice to just take the train? What do you think? I mean, if you drive for a living, not the case, but maybe on the weekend— Via is is too expensive, in my opinion. And I've talked with people about their ticket prices, and they say, well, this is what we have to do. Ultimately, this would come down to government investment. But if the government wants to save money on roads, if the government wants to make travel easier, we've got to start looking at trains again. We'll be talking about that in about five minutes, maybe 12 minutes. We'll see how it works out. Let's go back to the phones with Marilyn. Marilyn, how's your Friday going? Not too bad, thank you. I'm just sitting here eating my Tostitos. You know, I just love them. I, I'm, I'm with you. Do you you like Tostitos instead of Doritos? Yes. Yeah, you'd, you'd prefer the Tostitos? Yes. Okay. Tostitos. Now, are they the nacho cheese ones or just the oh, corn chips? These are plain. They're little. They're small. Okay. And uh, I've always I, been curious. You talk about eating Tostitos. I never knew what flavor it was. Well... They're very tasty, and I like them very much. Now, my doggone phone is going. I'm going to have to run into the bedroom and get my other one. Can you hold? You know what, Marilyn? We'll take a commercial break, and then when we come back, we'll talk with you, okay? Okay, honey. Thank All right. You. Bye-bye. We'll talk soon. Bye. Oh, I think Marilyn's phone went. She'll get the new phone. We'll find out what she has to say. If you have anything to say on zipper merges or roundabouts, we got into this. If you're just joining us on London Live... I'm driving down Hamilton Road, coming into work as I normally do. I'm at Egerton, and I'm I'm stuck in a line of traffic and thinking I'm zipper merging 
all wrong because I'm watching people zoom by on the right. Norm says, eh, go the half lane. I've done that before. People don't like it. They don't like that at all. But it does force you to zipper merge from that point on. What's the right way to do it? I'm pretty sure I'm doing something illegal if I'm half in a lane and blocking other traffic, first of all. But that's something that has been an issue. And then roundabouts have come up and all the the nasty things that we have with roundabouts that none of us understand how to use. More on that and other things transportation-related when we return on London Live. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Marilyn has her new phone. Marilyn, how do you feel about zipper merges or roundabouts? Well, I hate the roundabouts, especially the one on Wonderland and Sunnyside. I just hate it. And uh, I've had, you know, when I'm in the inner one, like the inner circle, I've had guys, uh, you know, drivers, you know, cut right in on me. Mm -hmm. Can you believe that? No, no, that happens to everybody because I don't think anybody understands how to use the roundabout. Well, I'll tell you, I don't think anybody or not too many understand how to drive. <laughs> I drive at a speed where I can control the car if I have to stop quick. I certainly don't want to get in an accident because at 84 years age, I made in my 85th year, I would be the one to blame. Marilyn, you keep up your safe driving habits. Thanks for the call. You have a great weekend. Thank you, dear. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay, let's talk a different kind of transportation. We have seen reduced train service in this area over the years. So it's harder to get from place to place. We can get from London to Toronto. Forget that. Try getting from Sarnia to Toronto. Try getting from Stratford to Toronto, St. Mary's to Toronto. There is a bit of a push right now to change this. And joining us is St. Mary's Mayor Al Strathdee. Mayor Strathy, thanks so much for being here. It doesn't take a whole lot of looking to see that we do have fewer trains available to us now than we used to. Maybe we could begin this by having you outline what you're hoping to do to make changes. One thing, Mayor, is we're just trying to work with other communities along the lines. Actually, we've passed a resolution and we've been in contact with some other communities to try and make this an election issue and try and bring some attention. Uh, successful governments, they, they have not reinvested in ZN. and we think it's, it's pretty important given the, you know, the 401 corridor and, you know, the increased congestion and the problem with accidents and it, and aging population as well. It's important that the communities stay connected and stay strong. Yeah, we talked about Europe, for instance, and we compared taking a train that's two hours in length from Paris out to kind of the any of the beach towns, and you could do that for about 20 bucks Canadian, maybe 23 by the time you change things. To get from London to Toronto is more than double that, so the cost certainly comes into it. How do you feel that, that we could make changes to make it more accessible? I think frequency is a big issue. I mean, it's like anything. If the cupboard's there, you don't sell as much. And I think the reality is, is a well-thought-out plan and, and more frequency of train and better connectivity communities, I think, would make a big difference. I mean, I've traveled in Europe um, with my kids, you know, and we, a few years ago, our, our kids were younger, and they'd say, you know, how come we don't have this at home? You get on a high-speed high speed train there or even just a regular train connecting communities, it's quite convenient and quite affordable. And it's just, it's, it's amazing because we're missing out. I think it's, it's affecting our, our productivity as, as well as, you know, when traffic gets jammed up on the 401 and so forth, actually, it doesn't make it easy to uh, to access family or medical appointments or all these things. So I think that 
the government really needs to focus on this as a big issue. The mayor of St. Mary's, Al Strathy, joining us on London Live. Mayor Strathy, where do you think we went in a different direction from Europe? How did we not copy what was happening there in the first place? I, I just think that the government's been focused on a lot of uh, issues in terms of, uh, you know, uh, other issues. That, uh, and this is just, I don't know why, but this has sort of fallen by the wayside, actually. And maybe the, the, you know, the North American love with the automobile it may be just a factor of infrastructure and geography works against us sometimes. But the reality is, is that the train is one of the essential things that built this country, if you look back, actually, and, and how we've, we've fallen off or we've lost sight of that, actually, is somewhat mind-boggling because I think that with a small investment from the government, I mean, we're, the numbers are big, but if you look at it in terms of the size of the country and so forth, on a per capita basis, it's not a huge investment that it would take to actually improve rail and, and overall improve our economy. I mean, I think people should be able to get up, you know, in a place like Stratford, get up in the morning, be able to be in downtown Toronto for a work day, actually. And currently, that's not the case. We're talking with Mayor Al Strathy, Mayor of St. Mary's. You mentioned that you've been able to talk with other mayors from other municipalities. What do you hear from them? Uh, Mayor Bradley, for example, in Sarnia, I talked to him recently, and uh, who's a great advocate for this service, actually. And so he said in Sarnia, the case is that they're getting one train a day. And, and I think he said they had, at one time, they had eight. Uh, six or eight, something like that, and and uh, the reality is, it's just it's, it's inconvenient. The times aren't possible, and if you know you want to stay connected to even like uh, medical hubs, for example, in London, but starting to London would be a hub. Um, it, it becomes difficult for people, especially in the winter and, and bad weather and so forth. If you ever jumped on the train in the winter time, actually, when the roads get closed and so forth, it's just a mess. And and what we should be doing is encouraging people to use rail transport as one of their top priorities in terms of transportation, actually. We should make it more convenient. We should make it more affordable. And I think all that's achievable, but it just it, it takes some commitment from the government. And the commitment does not seem to be there. Well, we have a federal election coming up. With this becoming a story again, would you gauge reaction as being lukewarm? Is there any interest there from any federal politicians? They're not, they're not calling you, texting you all hours of the day saying, tell me more? No, not exactly, actually. But... Uh, the reality is, is there's always a lot of chatter around election time about this, but it just never seems to float to the top. The Trudeau government had said that they were going to uh, include this in their priorities in terms of for, for infrastructure and so forth, and, and again, they, the investment in the rail has declined, actually. So um, every every time I think, cause it, I mean, it resonates with the population, with the older population. My mother, for example, other people, they like to take the train. And the reality is, is that it just seems to get left behind all the time. The equipment, if you've been on a, a lot of VIA trains lately, the equipment is aging. Uh, and we're not we're not keeping up with the times. And the part of the problem is is the use of the tracks and and the government's commitment. The government could make it a lot better if they were willing to pass some legislation and look at uh, rail rail passengers being a priority. But it just doesn't seem to float to the top for some reason. By better, do you mean also more affordable? Hundred percent, actually. Yeah, with more frequency, and more ridership, uh, it becomes more affordable. The reality, it seems like, is they're just sort of trying to mesh the system together and it, uh, you know, with old equipment and so forth, making it more convenient. I think, you know, it's all about scale. If we got more ridership and better times and more usage, I think it would become more affordable. Mayor Strathy, thank you so much for the time today. We appreciate your, you giving us a call and keeping us in mind. And thank you for making this an issue on your show. Much appreciated. Not a problem. You know what? We'll probably talk again. That is St. Mary's Mayor Al Strathy. So we've started to talk train travel. Easiest way to avoid a roundabout, zipper merge, be on a train. But 
we're looking at this more so from the amount of train traffic that used to exist compared with what exists now. We'll continue this conversation after news. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Okay, we've stopped zipper merging and going round and round the roundabouts for a second. Now we're on track. I hope. Because we're talking about trains. How can we be anything else? We need more train travel that is affordable in my mind. I've thought this forever. Go to Europe and you can compare prices very easily. You know, here's here's a personal example and then we'll talk with Richard. We're going to talk with... Uh, we're going to talk with a couple of people actually on this particular issue because this is something that is, is, is bubbling under the surface, but it never seems to get to the surface, kind of like St. Mary's Mayor Al Strathdee described. So we're going to talk with London City Councilor Sean Lewis. We're going to talk with Chris West from All Aboard St. Mary's. But here's a quick example. My family and I went to Toronto three weeks ago. We didn't hop on a Via in London. Sorry, Via, we didn't. We drove to Aldershot. We parked overnight at Aldershot, and we took a GO train in. That's how we did it. Know why? Because it was 11 bucks a ticket one way instead of 51 And 51 was a cheap fare that I could find. One way. So I'm not paying 400 bucks to get my family of four to and from Toronto when I can pay less than 100 That's the difference. And I don't mind the little drop of gas that it took. So maybe it cost me 120 I saved 280 bucks, At least. 519-643-2222. What does that mean to me? We need better train travel in this province, in this country. Joining us is a Richard. Richard, how do you feel about this? Good afternoon. First of all, I want to say I was listening to Mayor Al uh, Strathy there from St. Mary's, and you were bang right on. The railroad is what put this country together, and I want to say I hope you folks in St. Mary's, I hope you put up a good fight, and I hope that you get to keep your train service there. I know how devastating it is when a community loses their train service. I want to say, Mike, this has been going on now for the last 30 years. In 1990, southern western Canada, they lost their train service completely altogether. In northern western Canada, they were able to keep it three days a week, and that's because three political, uh, powerful cabinet ministers came from that area, but no time for that. Anyways, moving on. Eastern Canada, in October 2012, right, um, train service from Toronto to Halifax and Halifax back to Toronto was reduced from six days a week to three days a week. As a result, the wife and I in 2015, 16, and 17, we had to book our seats right months in advance or we wouldn't have been able to get a train. Well, that's fine. We were able to do that, but a lot of people, right, can't do that, eh, Mike? And here in southern Ontario, a lot of train service has been reduced as well. What I'm trying to say is if we bring back via rail train service and if we restore bus service across this country again in, in southern Ontario, more people will use public transportation. That's the way you make it affordable, and that way you keep your roads and your highways in better shape. Take a drive across Canada today, right, and not just the major highways, Mike, but also the secondary highways, and take a look at them. That's because as a result, right, 
because of a lack of public transportation. And this is something, right, I hate to say this, but I've always been fair and reasonable. This is something I can't blame, right, on the current federal liberal government, or I can't blame this on past federal liberal governments. In 1990, it was Mulroney that took our train service away from us in Western Canada, and in October of 2012, when the train service was reduced from Toronto to Halifax and Halifax back to Toronto, that was Stephen Harper that did it, and the reason he did that is he was paying Mulroney back, right, for what he did to us in Western Canada, 1990. But anyways, Mayor Al Strathy, I really enjoyed your interview with Mike. I certainly hope you guys get to keep your train service there, but unfortunately, Mike, in this country, we just don't seem to have a commitment to national passenger rail service or national bus service, and I've talked to tourists from other countries, and they said to me when I was on a bus with them, right, or a train or whatever, they said, we love your country, Richard, but your transportation, right, it's pathetic. On that note, Mike, you have a good afternoon. Richard, thank you for the call. That illustrates the passion right there. Ward 2 Councillor Sean Lewis joins us now and then. We'll talk with Chris West from All Aboard St. Mary's. Councillor Lewis, thanks for being here. My pleasure, Mike. I was, uh, you know, enjoying a, a sunny Friday afternoon and listening to London Live, of course, and uh, heard this discussion and thought, you know, I, I, I want to call in and, and share with our uh, neighbor for the mayor of St. Mary's that uh, this London City Council in particular agrees. This is a discussion we need to have. You know, I, I actually raised this with my council colleagues during the strategic planning uh, session that we had earlier this year. Uh, there's a component of the Strat Plan in London that, that refers to planning for high-speed rail, uh, the old wind government plan, and it's clear that that's not happening now. Um, there was a reluctance for my colleagues actually to change that focus to higher speed rail, uh, better via service. But I think that's a discussion we, we have to revisit because better train service is absolutely uh, really essential to the future economically of southwestern Ontario. I, I heard your uh, example of your trip to Aldershot and then taking the GO train. That shouldn't have been a choice you had to make. No. Like, you should have been able to get on the VIA station right here in London. But it wasn't even close. Like, that's the thing. It was 11 bucks a ticket for an adult. We had four adults, and off we go into Toronto. It wasn't even close. It wasn't like we could say, well, you know what? The convenience of having the VIA station in London, yeah, we'll go through there. Not even close. Well, and given the schedules, how much, how much time would you have lost as well, in addition to the cost? Uh, to, to fit the limited via schedule we have. Yeah, that's right. Okay, well, you are you have raised it. Thank you for doing that. And please keep us updated if if this becomes more of a topic in London. I hope it certainly does. Well, I hope it does too. And certainly I've, I've already had some discussions with our neighbor, uh, Deputy Mayor Kelly Elliott out in Thames Centre. She's been a big champion for this issue. Uh, London Fanshawe MP Irene Matheson, I know she's uh, heading off to retirement and not running again in the fall, but She's raised this issue in the House of Commons, but it's going to take a regional effort to really push this forward. And if I can help in any way, uh, whether it's with Kelly or Mayor Strathy or anyone else who's willing to push this forward, by all means, I hope folks pick up the phone and give me a call. If we all attach our cars together, ah, look what we can do. Ah, Now you're thinking. Councillor Lewis, have a great weekend. You too, Mike. That is Ward 2 Councillor Sean Lewis. Now we get a chance to speak with somebody who's been a champion of this for a long, long time, has been talking about this exact topic, which deals with a lack of train service in southwestern Ontario, which deals with service that is far too expensive in my mind. We'll see what Chris West believes. 
Chris West is with All Aboard St. Mary's. Chris, thanks for being here today. Well, thanks for having us. We appreciate it. Let's talk a little bit about what you've been doing at All Aboard St. Mary's and how long you've been doing it for. We started back in 2012 when we had the last cut. The fall of 2012, we lost two trains through St. Mary's. And Frank Doyle, the, uh, the editor of the newspaper, the local newspaper, approached me to try to do something uh, towards getting these trains back in St. Mary's. So that's how we got involved in it. And every year we've been uh, running a, a bit of a challenge, uh, whether it's a, a challenge you know, a challenge at the station or we had a, a walking group one time, uh, one year. Um, and we've reached out to uh, members of parliament uh, both federally and provincially, as well as as senators, trying to keep the issue out there. And what kind of reaction have you had? Because, hey, to keep this going from 2012 till now shows the passion that you have for it. What have you received in terms of response? Well, and certainly in St. Mary's, we've got people, you know, they're approaching me saying, hey, you know, we're taking the train more often. They're, they're giving me the stories on the train. We're able to create quite, quite a, a groundswell of support locally. And, and one year we saw our train uh, travel increase by about 35%. So we, we were able to do make quite an effect in St. Mary's. And we got about six or 7,000 people uh, in our group that are, are pushing for VIA. I think the key is probably to get through to the uh, the powers in Ottawa that are, are elected in the, you know, Liberal government, of course, carries a sway federally. Uh, there's a lot of interest, as the previous caller said, from the uh, New, New Democratic Party. Matheson has been good. Armstrong in, in London has been good. Uh, Catherine Fife in, in Kitchener-Waterloo is interested. And French down in Oshawa, all of who are NDP. I think we need to get some support at the Liberal level, especially to carry this thing forward. And uh, thus far, it just doesn't seem to have uh, have been there. We're talking with Chris West from All Aboard St. Mary's. Chris, what made you want to get this going in the first place? Well, I, I grew up in, in Scarborough, and I guess I was lucky. You know, we took uh, public transport as a given, just taking a, taking a breath of air, fresh air. You know, we, you know, we used the buses locally. Uh, we used the subway, and it just became something that you did. You know, you got used to doing it. And, you know, today when we go to Toronto, we're, we don't drive cars around. You know, we hop on the LRT or the subway or a bus. You know, that's how we get around. So, you know, we got used to it, and I think that's probably the key. You know, you spoke about uh, Go Train, and if you can get people to use, you know, some of these levels of service, they'll eventually upgrade to the VIA. True enough, um, you know, the cost is, is different. And one of the reasons for that is the subsidy, the, the subsidy for VIA rail, and on, on all forms of transport are subsidized. The subsidy for VIA rail is about $22 per passenger. For GO, I've kept it in at about $48. And for vehicles in Canada, the subsidy is about $290. So just think if you level that up, you put the same subsidy towards VIA that you've got for autos and GO train, you know, you'd get a lot more people using it. Yeah, it's very easy to point a finger at VIA, but I'm, I'm getting the sense that that's not where the finger needs to be pointed at all. I totally agree with you. I, you know, I've spoken to a number of people at VIA. You know, the president uh, that just uh, moved on, Yves Desjardins-Siciliano, was very, very helpful. You know, everything we went to him on, 
he supported us. He got some things into St. Mary's that we needed that really helped. And uh, we've always had very, very good support from VIA. They're happy to meet with us. But, uh, you know, they need the funding. And, uh, you know, if they, can't, if they can't get the funding, you know, they can't put the trains on the track and they can't get the fares down to where they should be. Chris West joining us from all aboard St. Mary's. Chris, as a, a final note, maybe just if we could clarify the subsidies that you're talking about. You said vehicle drivers, $290. If you're using the GO train, it's a $48 subsidy. Via is only about $22. What does that refer to? Uh, that refers to the, the subsidy by the government of Canada towards that, those forms of travel per year. And in, in the case of uh, in the case of vehicles, it's two hundred ninety dollars per year. In the case of V, it's twenty two dollars per ride. And in the case of Go, it's forty eight dollars per ride. Hmm. Well, so if we level that up a little bit, we could devote more money to Via, you know, and get this thing rolling. But we do need the support of the federal liberals. It's not going to move forward without their support, in my view. Hey, Chris, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Please keep up the work that you're doing. Thank you very much for having us. Have a great day. You as well. That's Chris West from All Aboard St. Mary's. So that does say it right there, because if you were able to change those subsidies, now people who own cars are not necessarily going to want to see the cost of driving those cars go up any more than we've already seen. By the way, if you need to renew a license sticker or buy a new license or or have your license renewed, uh, you'll want to do that by July 1st because the Doug Ford government is going back on something that they did say, which is it's going to cost more in order to do those things. But, yeah, if if you did take that away, if you made it more expensive to drive, will people get out of their cars? No, no. We, unfortunately, don't live in uh, a society. We don't live in cities that are conducive to just walking, to just cycling. But I think we're getting to the point where you've got to look at ways to limit the amount that people are driving first. And that would be a way. I mean, if you're seeing those subsidies and and Via's only getting a $22 subsidy, I'm comparing prices. I found a one-way ticket London to Toronto, 51 bucks. That was the cheapest I could find for an adult. If you were able to change that around a little bit, in other words, add some more subsidy to it, then maybe you do bring it down. Because I did have to drive to Aldershot to get onto the GO train there. I didn't want to have to do that, but... I also didn't want to pay 51 bucks a head for travel. So, yeah, if we could change that around a little bit, would you take the train if it was 20 bucks to Toronto either way? I bet you would. I know I would. I would say 20 bucks, I'd do it. 15 would be even better. Let's take a break. This is London Live on Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We've been talking about train travel, and I did find that very interesting from Chris West of All Aboard St. Mary's, that when you look at the way that subsidies break down, if we change them around a little bit, it might feel a whole lot more affordable to take via. And I think that's that should be an ultimate goal. Let's go to the phones. Gary, what do you feel about this? Oh, Mike, uh, it, it's frustrating. I mean, uh, anything anything to do with travel in Canada is just absolutely absurd. Yep. Um, a couple of years back, me and my wife, we went to uh, Toronto to London, England for five hundred dollars return. Our daughter, <laughs> our daughter lives in Calgary. We can't fly out there for six hundred and fifty dollars return. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, so when we went to Europe, uh, we went, um, we flew over to Amsterdam. We took the train from Amsterdam to Brussels to uh, Paris. 
and back again. And I think that it was under a hundred dollars Canadian for that trip. And we and it took over three days that we did it because we stayed in uh, Belgium and stuff like that. And like over there, it is so much different to here. Like I think the government needs to realize that it is the way to do uh, transportation to get people around. Politicians. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Well, and I was going to say, if they want to increase, uh, you know, uh, people traveling within their own country, lower the damn prices. Yeah, like, find a way. Go to the states. Absolutely. You can, e- you can even take the train very cheaply in the United States. But no, you're right. Politicians love trips. I think it wouldn't take much to convince a few federal politicians to take a nice trip to Europe and catalog all of their travels and then come back and say, you know what, we got to figure this out. Well, I'll go with them because I know where I'm going. (laughs) I will recommend that. Gary, have a great weekend. You too, buddy. Bye-bye. 519-643-2222. Time for one more call. Carl, we've got about 60 seconds, but they're all yours. Uh, Hi, thanks. Yeah, I'm going to Toronto downtown this weekend. I was going to drive, but I was fascinated by your your other way of getting there. Would you mind explaining it again? Sure. Driving to Aldershot, yeah. Parking here, yeah. I mean, you can pick whatever go train station you want. It might actually be easier on the weekend because the one trouble or problem that you you run into during the week is there aren't enough parking spaces at the go train stops, and they're even thinking about charging for parking to limit that because they feel there are too many one ride individuals pulling in. But we drove to Aldershot, parked at Aldershot. You can do that overnight, and you know, unless you're parking for longer than forty eight hours, you don't even have have to notify anybody so if you're just going for the night and then we popped on the go train you get down to union station you have no parking you have no worries you can use their public transit to get around and then when you're done you go back to union station get back on a go train which comes what every 20 minutes every half hour you go back to aldershot get in your car and go home Oh, perfect! And it's eleven bucks round trip. Yeah, it was eleven bucks for uh, for adults, eleven fifty or something like that. But definitely not fifty one dollars. Great. All right. Thanks for the suggestion. Have a great weekend. All right. You too. Take care. See you, Carl. All right. We've got to take a break. We've got news on the way. We'll also let you know what's still ahead on London Live. Still lots to come. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Lots of transportation talk today. More to come. We've talked about vehicular transportation, zipper merges, roundabouts. We've talked about taking the train. Let's talk cycling. There's a new survey. We'll do that after news and we'll get two perspectives on it and then i'm intrigued by this whole montreal tampa bay shared team now it's not going to happen but they're looking at it so we'll talk about that and we'll outline a few of the local connections who could hear their names called this weekend at the nhl entry draft all of that and more still ahead this is london live on global news radio 980 cfpl This hour, we have to talk a little bit about this whole Montreal baseball situation. In fact, Jake Jeffrey and I had a great conversation about it. It's going to be part of our Sports Sunday show, which you can catch between noon and 12.30 on Sunday. We're also going to talk with Oliver Griffiths, who is a kicker with the Central Golden Ghost football team and is quickly becoming a name you get to know. He's been invited to Prospect Games, one of the biggest ones in Canada. He has also been invited been invited to some camp workouts in the U.S. I mean, there's good stuff happening for him, so get to know that name. Oliver Griffiths, he's part of the show as well, between noon and 12.30 on Sunday. 
This hour, we are also going to talk about the NHL entry draft. We are going to talk about cycling in just a couple of minutes. But the reason I want to talk about the the Montreal baseball situation is when it first broke, it's, it's, it's wild. It's like one of those things. It's almost like watching when you're at a baseball game, a ball hit deep, deep, deep out into the outfield. It's curling. It goes foul. That's kind of what it was like. It was all exciting. And then... Yeah, but that's stupid. That would never work. If you missed the story yesterday, Jeff Passan, who's a reporter for ESPN, stated that the Tampa Bay Rays, who draw horribly, so in other words, no fans really come out and see them, uh, they play in a terrible place called Tropicana Field, which is like a mall. Players hate the lights in the roof. There's a lot of bad things about that. I think the ballpark's hard to get to. I've never gone there. Have you? See? Perfect example. I'm not a, I'm not even looking to go there. But what Jeff Passan was saying is that the Rays have asked for and have been given permission to explore the idea of sharing their team. So you would play part of the year in Tampa Bay, part of the year in Montreal. And immediately, that sounds pretty good. Major League Baseball back in Montreal. And then like that ball that's hit deep into the outfield and curls foul, oh, no, it's no good at all. No, 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 that's bad. Foul ball, not as good as a home run. This, not as good as having your own team. Why would Montreal have to share a team? Baseball's going to expand. Every sport expands. Hold out for the expansion team. That's what you want to do. Because in this case, who's going to get the playoff games? Well, they would go to Tampa Bay. They own the team. They'd be using Montreal. Oh, okay. Well, that's no fun. Uh... Flights are cheap. It's as you know what? As crazy as it is, it can actually be cheaper to fly from London, Ontario, or let's say Montreal to Tampa Bay than it can be to fly most places in Canada. I don't think you can fly from London to Montreal for as cheap as you can fly from London to Tampa Bay. I'm willing to bet that. I don't even have the prices in front of me. Go ahead, try and beat it. Find a price to fly from London to Montreal or even Toronto to Montreal for less than you can fly to Tampa Bay. I think you'll struggle. So as crazy as that is, we would see all the playoff games played in Tampa Bay, right? You would have to think so. And what about the players? What player's family is going to be happy that, yeah, we split the year between Montreal and Tampa Bay? What are you, a practice snowbird? No, you have kids who are in school. That's not going to work. That's not going to work at all. There are a lot of bad things to go along with this idea. Hey, Montreal, get a stadium together, hold out, because baseball is going to want some expansion money. Do that. It'll be a lot better. The city of London wants our help. They want our help. If you have ever cycled or if you have come in contact, hopefully not with your car, with a cyclist, they want your help. There is a brand new survey that... Well, it isn't quite brand new. It's, it's, it's not brand new, but it's out there. And the City of London would love for you to give some feedback on this survey. Jay Stanford with the City of London joins us right now to talk about this. Jay, first off, what do we need to know about the cycling survey? Oh, Mike, it's out there right now. In fact, it's actually been out there for a couple of weeks, and the response has been quite good so far, but we're going through now a good couple of weeks of a big push we have got a cycling survey on our website, and it is all about people's perceptions, their 
attitudes, their beliefs on cycling here in London. And when I say cycling, I mean we want to hear not only from cyclists, of course, but we also want to hear from people who don't cycle. Perhaps they cycled at one point in time. People who are in a car and have comments and thoughts about cyclists in general. And, of course, there's pedestrians out there that have comments about cyclists. So we have a very comprehensive survey that we're working on with Western University to get a good sense on cycling behavior and attitudes in this wonderful city. I love that you want to talk to people who maybe don't like cycling and are a little concerned about cyclists, because every time this topic comes up on London Live, we definitely hear from both, and we hear from people saying, hey, I don't mind cyclists, but follow the rules of the road, will you? So I'm sure you'll get a little bit of feedback on that. In terms of the things that you're looking to find out, what do you need to know from us? Well, one, we want to hear from some cyclists, for example, how often do they cycle? What factors actually encourage them to cycle? And conversely, what factors, uh, you know, what are a concern to them when they're out there cycling in London? Comments on our current cycling infrastructure and what they want to see in place in the future. Same thing with motorists. Uh, when motorists are out there, are, are they comfortable when there's a bike lane right beside them? Do they have the information available to understand how they have to actually share the road. A bike lane is very important, but there's certain things they have to understand when they hint, uh, get, come to an intersection. So we need to hear their thoughts and opinions so we can help formulate our plans for the near and future programs here in London. Jay Stanford joining us from the City of London as we look at a cycling survey that is available at london.ca slash celebrate cycling. Thank you for making it a nice, easy thing to look up. london.ca slash celebrate cycling. There's no dot on, dot gov, (laughs) other unnecessary characters in there. So london.ca backslash celebrate cycling. Now, when we look at that master plan, what is the timeline on that, or is it just kind of an ever-evolving thing? Well, the cycling master plan was completed in 2016 with a lot of input from the community. But here we are, you know, three to four years later, uh, things have changed, and, and that is why it's always, to get a, uh, always good to get a good read from the community. We've put in a, a number of things in place since then. There's more bike lanes in London. There are what's referred to as separated bike lanes, what we have on Colburn, and of course, what just was opened on King Street just recently. We've uh, begun to add to more of our, what's referred to as our pathway system that goes through a number of parks, and of course, our masterpiece out there, the Thames Valley Parkway, where we have 42 kilometers of, of pathways that are multi, multi-use. So lots of things have changed since 2016, and now is a good time to get a good read on that as the city goes into multi-year budget planning uh, to help us where we should put our resources, where we need to uh, perhaps provide more of something, and same thing, less of something else. It's about trade-offs as well, too, and the best way is to get that information from the community and their thoughts. Jay, if we look ahead to 2019, are there any increases being done in terms of things like pathways? Uh, uh, for this year, we've got about, uh, I think, about four kilometers of new pathways going in. There's about three kilometers of new bike lanes. As I mentioned, we just opened that one on King Street, our separated bike lane. Uh, some paved shoulders are going in this year, too. That's more towards the, the rural parts of London. So there is that growth. Mike, overall, people might not be aware that we do have about 400 kilometers of multi-use paths, bike lanes, and in Boulevard. 
uh, pathways. So there's a lot of infrastructure right now. So we also want to hear how people are, you know, happy or perhaps not as happy with what they have in place. It's always great to get that kind of read from that community, as I say. Is King Street, it, it's going to be more of a temporary thing right now, and then that, won't that shift to Dundas as being a, an east-west? That's right. That's all part of that evolution. Uh, we needed to find some solutions for right now, and those are in place. It also gets us a very good chance to get a good read on what's going on there. We're in a very challenging area of downtown, working with merchants, working with motorists, working with cyclists, uh, and, and that's all part of the learnings. That will then help us as we bring out infrastructure to other parts of the city, too. So this is where it gets quite exciting um, to, to have these live pieces in action, um, getting a good read on what's going on in the Thames Valley Parkway, too. And, of course, Mike, in the near future, we have those two bridges that are going in on the north end of that system to help close that gap to make it more accessible for the north end. So an exciting time for cyclists and people who really like their active transportation. And we're all getting out, and, and the way to do it sometimes winds up in cons- or, uh, traffic jams or, or things like that. If we go back to the 2016 numbers, I think it's the average Londoner takes 3.4 trips per day. And if you're doing that in a car the whole time, you're going to run into some snags. But maybe if we could space that out and, and turn a couple of those into non-car trips, might make it easier on everybody, wouldn't it? Oh, absolutely. When you think about those trips and the length of a trip, uh, for the most part, people take trips somewhere between five and six kilometers. And that is something that can be easily achieved on a bike. In fact, it, it, it can be achieved by someone just walking if they've got a bit more time, too. So from a, an environmental perspective, a mobility perspective, and looking to the future, um, switching to uh, different modes of transportation is vitally important to this city because we still continue to see the growth in uh, the, uh, the number of vehicles purchased. There's about 286,000 vehicles on the streets in London right now, and uh, that's just shy of one vehicle per person over the age of 20. So as far as a car culture... <laughs> We know that is quite strong, but these are the changes that are imperative for the future to find that right balance for all modes of transportation. Jay Stanford joining us from the City of London as we talk about a cycling survey that is up there right now on the City of London website. Go to london.ca slash celebrate cycling. Jay, how long is the survey going to be there? It's going to be, I believe, until the first week of July. So there's no rush if you actually want to cycle this weekend formulate your opinions and then tell us later but do get involved as we say your opinions and comments matter to us and even if you aren't a cyclist your opinions and comments matter maybe just as much and let's see what those are too jay thanks so much for the time on this thanks for having me on mike have a great afternoon jay stanford from the city of london on a cycling survey james you have a question about the survey yeah, uh, well, one question I had was just uh, how he's going to deal with the voluntary responses. Uh, and, I mean, obviously he knows a lot more about this than I do. I just actually, it's not a criticism, I was just asking. Okay. But uh, the other, uh, one, one other thing I had on, uh, uh, wanted to point out is on that survey, he asks about what reasons are preventing you from going biking. And one of them, and I was just like glad, so glad to see it on there. And I answered as my top answer is uh, bike theft. Bike theft, yeah. Hey, that's, I, that's I have legit. a nice bike, 
I've actually had my bike stolen before, uh, actually multiple times. And if you have a nice bike, you know, if you, you need a bike to like get you places and get, get you around town a lot, you need a nice bike. And then if you park it anywhere, it's gone. Yeah, I mean, all we have to do is go back to the video that became so popular a while ago. We talked about it on London Live, where you've got grinders now that are battery-powered, so you've got yeah. thieves that wander around, and I remember asking Wayne from South London Cycle, what can you do to combat that? And Wayne said, there really isn't much you can do, because that grinder will go through any bike lock. I literally took my bike wheel with me, put a nice heavy lock on it, and it was actually caught on video. The guy grinded off less than 30 seconds, put it up in the air, and walked it out on its back wheel. Wow. Well, James, that is, that's an excellent point and one of the ones that I'm sure they will look at. But we are talking actually with one of the researchers next, so I'll ask about voluntary responses, and we'll see if we can get an answer. Thanks. Okay. Have a great day. 519-643-2222. 519-643-2222. If you have anything to say at any time, phone lines are open. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can tweet me at Stubbs980. More on this discussion in just a moment as we speak with one of the researchers. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We have talked about a cycling survey that is available through the City of London website. They want your feedback we rarely get an opportunity to kind of look at the other side of this as it's happening, and that is the research side of it. Rebecca Henderson is a Ph.D. candidate at Western, and he's helping to handle the research side of things on this particular survey. And Rebecca joins us now. Rebecca, how are things? I'm well. Rebecca, we had a question regarding responses. How many responses are you hoping to get? Well, I, ideally, we would like 2,000 responses to this survey in London. Okay, so 2,000 responses. And as Jay Stanford outlined, you're looking for people who have cycled, people who don't cycle. What exactly are you looking to do with the data? Well, this research project would directly um, support the city's goal to increase the bicycle mode share in London. So this type of research design, um, it would kind, it would, it would give an evidence-based approach to determine strategies that would be required to advance cycling in our city. How do you deal with data that comes in in this way? Because it's something that now becomes such a part of our lives that we've got data on this, data on this. So how will you be dealing with this? So um, in terms of how we can use it to advance cycling in our city? Yeah, and, and how, how you kind of take all of the information that you get and, and organize it. How do you do that? Well, the survey itself is organized into three different types uh, of, of sections. So we have one section on infrastructure. Uh, we have a second section on uh, attitudes and behaviors, social norms. So when we think about that, we know that individuals, uh, th their families and their friends can really influence behavior. So whether or not you bike or you ride or you take transit. But we also know that our social norms, our culture really influences how we also get around the city. So, for example, if we see cycling as something that is for kids or maybe we see it as a competition or a sport, we may not view cycling as a way to run an errand or to get to work. So there's that's the second section. And then the third section is, you know, what are those barriers? What are those facilitators? And how can we get people who may have biked a long time ago to get back on their bike? 
but also how can we help you bike more often? And I just heard um, that, you know, bicycle theft is a big concern in our city. So that's, you know, one of the questions on the survey about maybe where we can prioritize actions and decisions. Rebecca Henderson joining us, PhD candidate at Western University, as we deal with the cycling survey that is now available on the City of London website. Rebecca, as a final thing, when the survey finishes and when you start collecting that data, how long does it usually take to process everything? Well, I I guess we'll have to see. You know, I would really love to see some preliminary data coming out in the fall. And um, if you'd like, we can give you a call then and let you know what we've learned so far. That sounds like an amazing plan. All right, let's do that. Sounds good. Have a great day. (laughs) Take care. Bye-bye. That's Rebecca Henderson, PhD candidate at Western University, handling the information that is coming in on that survey. So you can find that at the City of London website. We're going to take a break. We have news coming up next, and then we'll talk a little bit. Jake Jeffrey and I had a conversation earlier about Montreal and baseball and the return of baseball to Montreal and whether what has been brought up by Jeff Passan yesterday of ESPN even has some legs to it. Also, I have a great email from Rob dealing with the Montreal Expos. And I did want to answer to something because as soon as I said, you know what, I bet that you could fly from Toronto to Tampa Bay or London to Tampa Bay for cheaper than you could go from London to Montreal or Toronto to Montreal. Well, thanks to Kelly Wong because she hopped all over it right away. She did the research on it and found that I'm completely wrong, that you can find a ticket to Montreal for about 188 bucks, which actually isn't that bad. I'm, I'm actually impressed. In order to get to Tampa Bay cheaper, if you fly out to Detroit, you can do it. And Rob has an idea of actually how to get to Florida even cheaper than that. Now, it takes some waiting and some doing. We'll outline that when we return, too. London Live continues on a Friday. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. It is still a beautiful day in the neighborhood. We were talking travel, and Rob had said here, and this this kind of highlights maybe travel in North America. I don't know if it's it's something that would pop up in Europe, but if you search, you can find ways to save money when you travel that are really strange. So here's the example. Rob emailed Mike at 980cfpl.ca. He says, in 2003, my son and I were going to Florida. We priced it all out. And get this, the cheapest flight was for us to drive to Buffalo, then have a three-hour layover in Detroit. So you drive to Buffalo, fly to Detroit, have a three-hour layover, and then go to Miami. They rented a car and drove to Tampa. said, coming home, it was the same. Fly from Tampa to Detroit, three-hour layover, then on to Buffalo, and drive from there. Cheaper than London, cheaper than Toronto, and actually cheaper than flying right out of Detroit. That right there, I don't, I can't explain that, but it's true. I mean, we and we were traveling once. Instead of going direct L.A. to Detroit, we went L.A. Arizona, Detroit, and it was cheaper. And there was a flight that we actually couldn't get that would have been even cheaper than that. And this this is where this starts to either not make sense or completely make sense. I'm not sure which. L.A. to Orlando to Detroit. 
So you are flying way more miles. I mean, way more miles. But that was going to be the cheapest flight. And we thought, well, you know what? If we're going to do that, maybe we can get a day layover and finish the flight the next day and go to Disney for the afternoon. Who knows? But L.A. Orlando, Detroit was actually cheaper than L.A. to Detroit straight up. Makes no sense. Goes back to all of our other conversations earlier on London Live about train travel and how in Canada it makes no sense. Now, Rob also went on in his email to say regarding the Expos, he said, the Expos broke my heart. I was a huge Expos fan growing up, went to the Pearson Cup game in Toronto against the Blue Jays. Why they didn't start the Pearson Cup earlier? How did we not have this in the early 80s? Do we not? Oh, you can't have interleague play. Yeah, but these are two Canadian teams. Get out of the way. And you know what? How about the two New York teams play as well? How about Anaheim in those days, the California Angels, play the Dodgers a little bit? Why not? Mm, can't do that. That was half of baseball's problem from the beginning. Gary Carter, Rob says, was his favorite player. He had home, road, and practice jerseys that were pretty much his wardrobe in high school. He said when the World Series was canceled and the Expos were in first place in 1994, they broke my heart. I gave up on the sport that I had played for a large portion of my life. It took me almost 20 years to get excited about it again after a tour of Wrigley Field. He says, I know I'm in a minority in the country, but as far as I'm concerned, I will be happy if baseball never returns to Montreal. He says, go Cubs, go. All right. That could be a way that, that everybody winds up looking at this. I mean, people in Montreal have gone to exhibition games, but they need a new stadium. Would they get a new stadium? The tax structure is not favorable. Players don't tend to like it. And so that may be an issue. Let's talk about Jeff Passan and what he kind of unearthed yesterday in the idea that Tampa Bay is looking for a partner and that it maybe could be Montreal, to share the team. I'll take you to a conversation we had earlier today with Jake Jeffrey. It is part of Sports Sunday, which you can hear every Sunday from noon until 1. We talk about some local stuff. We talk about some some hot topics in sports. And from noon to 1 every Sunday, you can hear that. So we'll go to that conversation next as London Live continues. And then we'll also outline a few of the names to watch for who have local connections when the NHL entry draft gets underway. Plus... How did the NBA draft become part basketball and also part fashion? But it did. All of that before we close out the show today. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. This weekend on Sports Sunday, starting at noon on Sunday, we'll talk with London Central High School kicker Oliver Griffiths. We'll also talk about the Women's World Cup of Soccer, which features Shalina Zadorsky and Jesse Fleming. And boy, is Jesse Fleming get a, getting a lot of, of positive praise for as young as she is for how well she is playing. It, it's really, really been part of what's happening at the World Cup. And we are also going to talk about baseball. Here is an excerpt from this week's Sports Sunday with Jake Jeffrey as we take a look at the idea of a shared baseball team between Montreal and Tampa Bay. There are fans in Montreal who got a real, maybe 
awakening on Thursday, although this has been talked about kind of backroom style for a while. But Jeff Passan of ESPN brought it front and center. The idea that the Tampa Bay Rays, who are averaging about 14,000 fans a game. This isn't anything new. Tropicana Field is not one of those places that you know people flock to in order to see baseball. But the Tampa Bay Rays now have permission from Major League Baseball Commissioner Rob Manfred to explore becoming a two-city team. And that would mean part of their games, they haven't said they would divide it in half, but part of their games in Tampa Bay, part of their games in Montreal. And it's pretty unprecedented. Manfred has already looked and said, look, this is a long-range thing. The mayor of Tampa Bay has spoken up, said he doesn't seem to be interested. And, oh, by the way, there is a lease agreement in place that runs until 2028. But, Jake, this certainly has people in Canada talking and people in Montreal talking. I grew up as an Expos fan. We lived a half hour away. We used to go to games at the stadium. It was an amazing atmosphere. I know the Big O got dated pretty quickly, and the Expos ran into troubles where they were becoming a factory for other teams in the major leagues and eventually got moved to Washington. But boy, oh boy, I want this to happen. Can it happen? I don't know. I'm I'm a little skeptical of seeing it happen just because, I mean, they, they're sort of banking on those Expo fans just coming and showing up for a couple games in the summer. I mean, how is this going to work out? Is it going to play half of their home schedule there? So if, if you're an Expos fan, do you kind of see them play here and there? And Are they going to be called Montreal? I mean, as an Expos fan, are you going to be cheering for the Tampa Bay Montreal Expo Rays or whatever? <laughs> the X-Rays actually was the best X-rays. name I heard. for, And it almost makes you want to see it happen just for that name in general. It seems like it'd be too good, <laughs> too good uh, to pass up. But my, my thought is, though, because I, I saw one thing where they there was the idea of, because um, Tampa Bay, it's so warm down there during the summer months, much like the Texas Rangers do it. Uh, they don't play any day games past a certain date in the summer because it's just so hot. And right now they have a former hockey rink that's a uh, permanent dome. So their older games are indoors. So looking at the price tag, it would have been to for them to make a new domed uh, diamond, which would be probably a retractable dome, was going to be very, very expensive. So one thought is this could almost cut their price in half for a new ballpark is they don't put a retractable dome over top of it, have an open air ballpark. And once the temperatures gets a little too hot down in Florida, you could have the home games in Montreal there in August and July. And the issue I have with that is the Rays have been a contender, average weight, one every five years, maybe an average. I mean, if are you that desperate for Major League Baseball in Montreal? We're going to show up to the, during the dog days of summer, the most boring time of baseball season for fans of 24 teams other than the ones who are still in it. So I don't know. I, I don't think it's – they're trying to rely on nostalgia, I think, a little bit too much. And it seems like a bit of a pipe dream. I can't see it happening. I can't see it working. Is it a worse idea than having the Expos play games in Puerto Rico? I don't know. <laughs> At this point, it seems like it's, it can't be much worse. But, I mean, if you're an Expos fan, at this point is – Find a find a Winnipeg Jets fan somewhere, whether it's online or something like that. You know, pen pal or something like that. And send me. How did you deal with it? You know, remember all those years where? Oh yeah, this is the year the Atlanta Thrashers are moving. Or no, it was always it was, it was always, always Phoenix. Phoenix. Phoenix is always moving. Yeah, this is the year Phoenix is moving. And then Jets fans, okay, when are we hearing about us maybe moving? Tell wake me up when we actually move. And then all of a sudden it seemed like overnight it's like wait a second it's not Phoenix. That was sort of like the magician's card trick where you're looking <laughs> over at Phoenix. Here's Atlanta quickly moving to Winnipeg. So I mean, after all this focus on Tampa Bay potential moving to Montreal, I mean, I think Expos fans for the most part is like, yeah, wake me up when it actually happens and if it does happen, even if this is the plan, it's going to be a ways down the road, so I can't see it working, but uh, who knows, and I mean, baseball is in the sport where people can just go and show up 
for three hours and be entertained. You sort of need to be invested in it. And yeah, you can go grab a beer at a ballpark, but there's plenty of other ballparks in Montreal who could facilitate that for you. Well, the logistics kind of bring you back to earth in a hurry. And it you've, does, yeah. you've <laughs> outlined a lot of things and a lot of good things. Let's look at it from the perspective of players. One of the reasons why we don't see a National Football League team in London, England, is you've got to convince players players that you're going to live in London, England. You're going to deal with some of the harshest travel that there is. So that's been a logistic for the National Football League. This is the same thing. Where does your family live? Yeah. I mean, these ball players look at those things. Do you think free agents are going to want to go to the twin cities of Montreal and Tampa Bay? Where do the kids go to school? What part of the year are they in Montreal? What part of the year are they in Tampa Bay? They don't have that figured out. Plus, tax structure. Yeah. You don't have state taxes in Florida. You are one of the most taxed places in North America in Quebec. So wait a minute, how does that balance out? And those are things that players are going to look for. Somebody raised a really interesting point, wondering if this was maybe Major League Baseball saying, okay, we need to see a new stadium in Montreal if we're going to go there with any kind of permanence again. It can't be the big O. So what if we say this and then watch what happens? Do investors step up and do they finally push ahead and does the city say this is where it's going to be and we're willing to make room for it if you're willing to pay for it? And does that happen to give Montreal a new stadium? Because one of the things that this apparent exploration hinges on is new facilities in Tampa Bay and Montreal. So maybe that's it because Major League Baseball is looking to expand. Every league is looking to expand. The dollars are too big. When you're looking to find a way that owners can get a share of revenue that players can't touch, expansion is the way. And you have enough people who are playing these sports. I mean, you go back, it doesn't matter what sport it is, in the 70s and the 80s, we didn't have hitting clinics. We didn't have year-round baseball facilities that you could train in. We didn't have the training that existed. So we're creating better baseball players just like we're creating better football players and better hockey players and you've got enough of a base that you're not going to say, oh, this is a watered-down product, this is terrible. No, they're targeting markets, and Montreal is one of those markets, along with, say, Nashville and Seattle, and some people have even mentioned Vegas for baseball. I don't know if that would work, but this is a test for Montreal to say, okay, how on the radar are you? And if they can come through and say, this is how ready we are, maybe it's not a shared team with Tampa Bay, maybe it's the Montreal Expos coming back. And I think that would be it is is, is a is maybe a posturing type thing because I mean, I mean, yeah, like I said earlier, if you're an Expos fan, are you going to be a cheering for a team one month in every year or are you going to, you know, sports fans are so passionate and usually maybe sometimes for the wrong reasons because they're invested in their team. It's my team, whether it's the place they grew up in or whether it's their my dad or my mom took me to games when I was younger. There's that passion and there is that this is my team that I'm cheering for. We the North, right? It's not I the North. It's we the North. So I just can't see that uh, really taking off for a team that kind of just shows up every now and then. I mean, it almost feels like, you know, you're, you live in a beach town and you get those people that show up for kind of a week or two every summer. It's Get out of here. This is my town. <laughs> Maybe it's something like that where you show up and like you don't want to cheer on the Tampa Bay Montreal Rays. You want to cheer on the Montreal Expos. So who knows? But I like your thought there, the the exploration, the expoation, I guess, if you will, nice. of a potential team in Montreal. So we've got the X-Rays, the Montreal-Tampa yep. X-Rays, and, and I like that. The, the expoation. Jake Jeffrey, part of Sports Sunday, this Sunday from noon until 1230. 
Coming up next, we'll outline a couple of the names that should be called this weekend, could be called this weekend, as the NHL has its 2019 entry draft in Vancouver, British Columbia. And then there are a couple of key dates that if you are a hockey fan, if you're a Maple Leafs fan, or certainly if you know a Maple Leafs fan, that are going to be very important. We'll give those to you as well. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. We live in a brand new age of things. Who would have thought that years and years ago we'd even be paying attention to drafts? Normally they used to be held at hotels and all of the managers and other scouts and staff members got around. They just made picks. And then somebody went, you know, this is fascinating. The NBA knows this better than anybody else. They know how to distribute information better than anybody else, better than any other league, because they have the ability of throwing little tidbits of information out there that people will read, and they won't necessarily learn a lot, but it will be enough to get them, oh, hey, there's something happening in the NBA, and it's conducive to your phone. Oh, there's an update. Oh, there's an alert. Oh, look. And it really is nothing, but it gets you thinking there's something. And then it's like a little breadcrumb that leads you all the way to a great big tasty pie. Oh, look, there's that little that little morsel, and then they get you hooked into eating the whole great big thing. So the NBA does that very, very well. When you look at the NHL entry draft, maybe it doesn't have the hype, but I was amazed last night at how much focused in on fashion, on the fashion. I was watching the draft with my son and a buddy of his. Both of them are football players who really like the NBA. So these guys are not typically involved in anything fashion-related. Nothing. My son's buddy is an interior linebacker. He's a big guy who likes to hit things. That's what he does. Fashion is not it. But they were talking as much about who should move up in the draft or what this guy might do for this team or, hey, where's this guy going to go, as they were, hey, do you see what he's wearing? Hey, look at he didn't wear a tie. Hey, look, look at that jacket. I'd like to get me that jacket. That's what they're talking about. I couldn't believe it. So I checked with a couple of other people who watched the NBA draft today uh, or watched it last night here at Chorus Radio London, and they were talking about the same thing. Same thing. The fashion factored into it. We live in a very strange time. Coming up in the entry draft this weekend, we could see some London Knights names called, some Londoners called Ryan Suzuki could factor into the first round tonight, as a matter of fact. Um, We also could have Ty Glover, who has had a great year with the Buffalo Junior Sabres, Navarin Mutter, who's from Lucan, and then you've got some London Knights. Connor McMichael could make his way into the first round tonight. He had a very good year with the Knights, scored 36 goals. You also have Matvey Guskov. And then you have two guys who were not drafted last year. I'm really interested to see what happens with Billy Moskal because it isn't always that you have a player who gets passed over one year and then has a strong enough year to merit being drafted again. It does happen, but being drafted that next year, that has happened with Billy Moskal. And I think he showed enough this year. He added another gear to his game. I'd love to hear his name tomorrow. Even in the later rounds, doesn't matter which, but he might be one of those guys that teams say, you know, I got this guy that nobody else is going to take, but I'm going to take him. 
and it's Billy Moskal. I'd love to see if that happened. Another guy who's in that same situation with the London Knights is Nathan Dunkley. So best of luck to all of them. But as Adam Silver said, starting last night's draft in the NBA, it doesn't matter where you're drafted. And I loved the graphics that had the Toronto Raptors draft picks and how late they all were. Kawhi Leonard was 15th. You had a bunch of guys who were taken in the second round when typically in the NBA draft – People stopped paying attention. You had other guys like Fred Van Vliet who went undrafted. And you know what? They all came together and they all won a championship. So, no, it doesn't matter where you get picked. And a lot of times you feel for the guys because some of them will will sit there and will wait it out and will not be picked. Some of them will go when they shouldn't. Or they'll sit there through that first night and they will not be picked. And it's crushing for them. But it's such a minuscule little thing. And it's one of the problems that we have with the attention on drafts now. It really is. Because it can really be a blow to the confidence of anyone who doesn't get selected. When in actuality, that doesn't dictate anything. You see a lot of great success stories. Brandon Prust is a perfect example where he wasn't drafted by an OHL team. And then eventually had to work his way up and was drafted by the Calgary Flames. But... It was because he didn't look back and say, you know, I wasn't picked in the Ontario Hockey League. I guess this hockey thing's not for me. He didn't take that as an answer and kept motoring on. And it's one of those life lessons that I think needs to be illustrated more than it gets illustrated. The idea that one little thing, because especially for a young person, one little thing will make them think, okay, well, then I can't do this. Failed a math test. Guess I can't go into anything mathematical. Failed a science test. Guess I can't be a doctor when in actuality it's so far from the truth. In fact, it is so good. I loved it when my kids brought home very early on in their lives, grade three, grade four, a test that they had failed. It was great because it's a great teaching tool. And it helps them to say, you know, that's not the end of the world. And here's why that happened. Because you didn't fail for no reason. You failed. So what happened? And you move on from there. It's a great thing to fail. Here's to all of the people who don't get drafted tonight but still want to make things work in hockey careers. I wish them the best. And congratulations to everybody who does hear their name called this weekend. We've got news coming up next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.